Uh, good morning, church. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord hath removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten, as a teal tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to start a new series today on the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the blessing it is that we have all the parables of Jesus written? Do you know how blessed we are to live in this day and age? Incredible. So, in Matthew chapter 13 is an extended section of the parables of Jesus. And today, we're not going to look at one parable. I'll refer to a number of them, but this will be an introductory message to the parables. And so we really want to deal with this question today, why Jesus spoke in parables. And that question is right here in the text. So why don't we begin reading, I'll read Matthew chapter 13 at verse 9. And the reason Isaiah 6 was read this morning is because that passage is quoted in this section and you'll hear it once again. Matthew 13 verse 9. And why don't we read it responsively. I'll start at verse 9, then you read verse 10 and we'll read responsively. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Why speakest thou unto them in parables? 
He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. For verily I say unto you, and let's read verse 17 together, it's our last verse that we'll read. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. And so today the message is why Jesus spoke in parables. You can follow along. There is an outline in your bulletin, pages 10 and 11. Let's bow together in prayer as we begin. Lord, may fruit abound in our midst this day by the mighty working of your Spirit in our hearts. We thank you, dear God, that just as the disciples were under the personal teaching and guidance of you, Lord Jesus Christ, and you interpreted some of these parables for them, just as truly we have the personal teaching, we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this dispensation dwelling in us to teach us all things. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God that you've given to us to glorify Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that we would see Your glory as our King and of Your coming kingdom in these parables, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the parables of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the supreme answer to man's many needs. He's the one who solves the problem of our restlessness. We are restless people of our lack of contentment. We're often discontented. But Jesus Christ is all we need, ultimately. He is sight for the blind, healing for the paralyzed. He is the one who cleanses the defiled. He gives life to the dead. Jesus Christ is the supreme answer to the sad and comfortless world. And thank God for the Holy Spirit who teaches us of our King and of His Kingdom. So these parables are powerful, And I look forward to this series studying and looking at these parables. Because in these parables are the solutions to the perplexities, to the problems, to the the lostness and the sinfulness of man. These parables are so powerful. And Jesus started teaching them, and we'll see, somewhere, uh, started teaching them prominently, somewhere toward the end of his second year of public ministry, when he was about to go into even more intense opposition. So let's consider these parables. In his parables, Jesus drew upon verbal pictures. 
he used the world around him. He used things that were common and familiar to any man of his day. He spoke so the common people heard him how? Gladly. These things are still common to us. But think of this. As the creator of the world, Jesus Christ used the things He created on earth as metaphor and as illustrations of the eternal world. So Jesus uses earthly things that He created to tell about eternal truths of His kingship and of His kingdom. The word kingdom is prominent in Matthew chapter 13, even in verse 11, which we read. Jesus says, To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 19, He says, When one heareth the word of the kingdom. So the word of Jesus is the word of the king for His coming kingdom. And many times in the parables, they're introduced, even in this chapter, the kingdom of heaven is like. So, these parables use earthly things to illustrate His eternal kingdom. And that's really amazing. Another thing I could say in general about these parables is it's kind of like the wisdom literature of Jesus. You know, in Proverbs, in chapter 1, the Proverbs basically begin saying that the Proverbs were given that we might know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. So the Proverbs were that we would have understanding and the knowledge of God. And notice the word understanding in our text. And it's, a, and it's a Proverbs word. The same word Isaiah uses in Isaiah 6 is used there in Proverbs when we see that word understand. By hearing you shall see and shall not understand. And that, it, that unless you would understand with your heart, verse 15, and be converted. So the word understanding, even in verse 19, when one hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. So the, pro, the, the parables is like the wisdom literature of Jesus Christ to give us understanding of His kingdom, of His kingship. It's imp- I don't think it's... I'm not going to even venture to say the exact number of parables. It's kind of difficult sometimes to know whether one of his teachings is a parable or is it a metaphor. And even, for example, many people categorize the story of the rich man and Lazarus as a parable. I personally don't think that that is a parable. I believe it's just a real live story. Nevertheless, there's, it's, there are different ideas of exactly what are parables, but I would say there are about 46 different parables recorded in the Gospel. And then I'll ask you this question. How many parables are recorded in all four Gospels? In other words, how many parables are, are similar to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? That's a good guess. I appreciate it. My wife is always so bold to give the answer. <laughs> Even though I am so... I'm sorry, hon. You, that's not right. That's, it's okay. She usually gets all the answers right. So I don't know what happened there. But at least you answered. Everybody else is too chicken. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Oh, come on. I'm just playing with my wife right now. Okay, you weren't. So there are none. 
Because John does not record any parables. How many are recorded in all three Gospels? Don't say anything. I'll give you the answer. (laughs) There are about ten that are, ten parables are similar to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that means there are about 36 other parables that are either in two of the Gospels or unique to one of the Gospels. So I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to do 46 messages on the parables, so don't worry. But this is an extensive study, and the parables of Jesus is no doubt a very important method of his teaching. So let's look at these parables. Now in this chapter we're in, Matthew chapter 13, there are eight different parables. And in this chapter there are also two interpretations of, of the parables. And from my understanding, it's the only two times Jesus interpreted these parables. The parable of the sower and the soil, the parable of the wheat and tares. He gives the interpretation. So he gives us some guidance on how to interpret the other parables. But we must rely really on the Holy Spirit teaching us to make understanding and to rightly divide these parabolic teachings of Jesus. So let's look at an introductory message on the parables Why did Jesus speak in parables? And the first thing I want us to see about parables and why I believe He spoke in parables is Jesus is the truth. And in these parables, He's giving true-to-life stories. Jesus is using familiar aspects of human life. Real, actual, literal things on earth. And those, now get this, those real literal things on earth are illustrative of real literal things that are either in heaven or that are in His kingdom or that we don't see yet. Or He uses real literal things on earth to speak of real literal things in the spiritual realm. But either way, he's talking about truth. A lot of people have this idea, oh, all the Bible's a parable, and it's just a metaphor, and it's just an allegory, and it's the real meaning is hidden, and you really cannot understand what... No, that's not the point of a parable, as we'll see in a moment. Jesus uses real things of earth to speak of real things about his kingdom and kingship. So what did he use in parables? What did he speak of? He spoke about fathers and sons, seeds and soils, fishermen and fish, birds and shepherds and sheep and judges and widows and merchantmen and managers of estates and religious hypocrites and tax collectors, people crying out for mercy, people who were on their way to hell. He spoke of the need of forgiveness and love. He spoke of pride and poverty. He spoke of the powerful and the powerless. He spoke of covetousness and bitterness. These are all real, literal issues of life. They're true-to-life stories with a heavenly meaning. Now, a good definition for a parable, and it's often, you've probably heard this definition, that's a good definition. I'm going to tweak it a little bit, but often they've been defined as a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's true. The idea of a parable is something cast alongside 
So in other words, here's an earthly story, and then Jesus is going to cast alongside that earthly story a heavenly meaning to that. And the heavenly meaning is just as true as the earthly is true. So a parable is literally something cast alongside. An earthly, it is the story of an earthly truth cast alongside a heavenly truth to teach a universal truth. So that's my definition of a parable. It is an earthly truth cast alongside a heavenly truth to teach a universal truth. Now, just also to differentiate between some other words. Now, a parable is not a proverb, right? And I don't have this up there, but just to say a proverb is a short sentence drawn out of long experience. So that's not a parable. A parable is a story of some kind. Neither is a parable a metaphor. Now, what is a metaphor? A metaphor is a figure of speech. So we would say that Jesus is the light of the world, or Jesus is the good shepherd. You see, it's not a story to say that he's the light of the world, but it's a metaphor, a figure of speech. Jesus is like a shepherd. He's like a light. Our God is like a strong tower. So a parable is different from a metaphor. You could say in some kind of ways a parable is an extended metaphor, Because it tells a story. Neither is a parable an allegory. Now, an allegory is a story with a hidden meaning. So, you could say that the story of Jonah, a literal story, but it's not a parable. It is an allegory because the hidden meaning is Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And that's somewhat hidden in the Old Testament, but then revealed that, oh, that's fulfilled prophetically by Jesus being in the belly of the earth and then being raised, as well as Abraham offering his son Isaac. So when you read that in the Old Testament, the the offering of Abraham of his son Isaac, that's not a parable. It's an actual historical narrative, but there's an allegory to it. There's a hidden meaning to it. So that's what's different of a parable and an allegory. And as far as a fable, parable is not a fable because parables always use true-to-life characters, whereas fables use, you know, talking turtles and rabbits and things, and, they're, and they teach a moral, a moral and a lesson, but a fable is not a parable. So, just to kind of put that out there of the difference. Now, I want you to think about this, and I think it would be good for you to write a parable of something that happened to you. Because it gets you thinking about something that happened in the earthly realm, in your earthly experience, and what's the heavenly meaning? What's the heavenly meaning to that? So recently, here's my parable. I want to give you my parable. I don't know what just happened there. Behold, a sewer line, all clogged. So I called the plumber for the... Fifteenth time. Previously, they've come and snake out the sewer line. And then I just kind of held my breath until the next time I'd have to call the plumber. But lo, this time when I called the plumber, I had a big problem. Weeds had penetrated the sewer for so many years that now the roots had completely overtaken my sewer line. And now there was a gaping hole in my sewer. 
And so, extreme measures had to be taken. Three men arrived at 4.30 in the afternoon. And with three shovels, they began to dig deep. And dig and dig. They had to make the necessary fix. They went to about six feet down and found another sidewalk underneath about six feet. They said, what kind of house is this, Mr. Wrecker? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I never, I, I didn't live here that long ago. But So they had to use their jackhammer and blast through another sidewalk about six feet down. And they kept digging and digging. And they looked for the exact spot where the sewer line had that gaping hole. But they couldn't find the sewer line. Where was it? It was deeper. They kept digging and digging to find the exact spot. It was difficult to find. But they did not stop. They found out that once the sewer line left the house, it went like this. It didn't go straight out. So they finally found the sewer line about nine feet down after digging. And they did not stop until my house, my front yard was filled with a pile of dirt. Can you see that mound of dirt there? This is my front yard, by the way. And they started at about 4.30. And then, finally, ha! they found where the break of the sewer line was. You can't live in a house without a sewer line. So they found the break, and they were able to replace. And there was roots that had completely taken over that sewer line. And that's about nine feet down, right beside my house. So that's my earthly story. And about one o'clock in the morning, they left. <laughs> I said, you can come back tomorrow. <laughs> but they didn't. They finished the job. So what's the, what's, the, what's the heavenly meaning, if you will, to my earthly story? I'll just give you the big idea. I won't go through every detail. Do whatever is necessary to clean the weeds out of your inner life. Because we cannot be clogged up on the inside in our walk with God. You might have to dig deep. It might be hard to find exactly what's wrong. But don't stop. It will be inconvenient. But use your resources. I had to spend about $7,500 that day, which I didn't think I was going to spend that morning when I woke up. But believe me, it was worth it. I was so happy that I won't have this problem anymore. Get rid of the weeds of fear and hatred and anger and worldly pleasure at all costs. So that's my parable. Hope you enjoyed it. The sermon is not over. <laughs> the second thing I would like us to see, not only do parables teach us of real truth, true-to-life stories, but secondly, Parables are a test of our faith. So now let's go to this text. They're a test of our faith. Now Jesus did use parables before Matthew 13. But at this point, something does change because He's speaking almost entirely in parables. Question, why? Even the disciples said, Lord, why are you now teaching us only in parables? And Jesus answers that question. And there's a few answers that we can give. Number one, 
as a test of our faith, parables will do at least one of two things. They will either reveal the truth to your heart, and that's the first thing. And that's what Jesus says. Why am I speaking in parables? He says, because it is given to you to know. And that is to have an understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. Now question, do you want to know and understand the mysteries of God's kingdom? Amen. That's why we're here. The parables teach us that. And that's exciting. So a mystery is something up to that point hidden that had been concealed, but now it was being revealed. But it could only be understood with someone who has an open heart, a sensitive heart, a believing heart, and a heart that is reliant upon the Holy Spirit for us today to be taught and to understand. You see, those who love Jesus and His Word will love the parables. It's a test. To reveal the truth to your heart. And I have a few different pictures. I won't really make reference. But I just took a few screenshots of other parables of Jesus. Here the parable of the hid treasure. But what do parables reveal? How do they reveal? What do they reveal? They bring great understanding to our hearts. And, And that word, understand by the way. You know who had understanding? In the Old Testament, Joseph had understanding. And that word understanding that I referenced earlier, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. Joseph had understanding. David had understanding. Solomon had understanding. The psalmist in Psalm 119 had understanding. And for those who love the Lord and now can understand these parables, we will have understanding of His kingdom. And so it's really quite exciting that we have access to all these parables, and someone to teach them to us. We can get understanding. And then he even says that if you have understanding, if you understand these parables, what's going to happen to you? What does it say in verse 12? As you learn these parables, you'll have what? More understanding. To, To whoever has, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. And so you'll have understanding. You'll have a sense of enlightenment and not only great understanding, but these parables can bring us great joy. And I'm going to skip down in the text, but look at verse 16 where Jesus said, But blessed are your eyes. That is, the ones to whom the mysteries were given to understand. In other words, your eyes will be happy reading these these stories. Happy eyes. People like to read stuff and look at stuff. I mean, we are a visual people. You're not going to find happiness by looking at all of the sin and wickedness that is available to us so easily at just a few clicks. But you will find happiness, Jesus said. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And you'll have happy eyes and happy ears because God's Word rejoices the heart. And Jesus even says that prophets and righteous men desire to see these things which you see and have not seen them. We are privileged even more than Noah. Or as I mentioned, these men who had understanding in the past of like Joseph and David and Solomon. God's Word brings joy. I hope that as we study the parables 
that our hearts would be filled with greater understanding, greater joy, that this would be revealed to us. But Jesus said that those whose heart has been hardened by their own unbelief, the parables will reveal the truth to the hungry heart, but it will conceal the truth to the hardened heart. And so here Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, the passage we read earlier, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. You see, to them, it is not given for them to have understanding in the kingdom. And those who have hardened their heart, he says, it will be taken away the things that he even has. So in other words, people who have hardened their heart against the Lord, they hear these parables, they're like, ah, you can't understand that. There's no, there's no making sense of that. And they lose interest in God. They lose interest in the Word of God through these parables. So it's a test. Will more truth be revealed to your heart or will the truth be concealed from your heart? Now let me say this and say it very clearly that in verses 13 and 14, these verses emphasize man's responsibility in refusing and rejecting the Word of God. It is not God's fault when we go on and later read, for this people's heart is waxed gross. In other words, their heart is hard and calloused and they cannot understand. That's not God's fault. God only did that after they hardened their heart against the Lord. And these verses use a aspect of the original language that emphasizes their own personal responsibility in verse 13. Because they seeing, that is, they were actively seeing, but they don't see, and it's their fault. Because they hearing, they hear not, they don't want to hear. Neither do they understand. It's on them. There's an active rejection and a hardening of their own heart to the Lord. So, these verses emphasize the human responsibility of man. And it's on him if he is lost. And as well, for him to call on the Lord. So, parables can't conceal the truth to the one who hardens their heart to the Lord. And man is responsible for that hardened condition. And that this passage even says that... If they had just heard right, if they had just listened right, what is God's will? Is it, does God take pleasure in the death of the wicked? No. He is not willing that any should perish. He will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And he even says it with, I, I, I sense a broken heart of Jesus when he's quoting from Isaiah. He says in verse 15, this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. See, this is, this is what they have done. And lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be what? What does it say at the end of verse 15? And should be what? Converted! And that I should heal them. That's, that's what God wants to do. He wants all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Have you been saved? Have you opened up your heart to Jesus Christ? The Word of God is given to us for our conversion 
and our healing. Not all of our physical healings, but yes, many times we get sick and God heals. But our spiritual healings, our forgiveness, our healing from sin. The greatest healing that one can experience is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins. Knowing I'm on my way to heaven, it will heal that discontented heart. It will heal that heart that's always looking for something else, but is never yet satisfied. Unless Jesus Christ is the satisfaction of your heart, you'll just go from one thing to the next to the next, never finding real happiness or satisfaction. Jesus, and these parables will heal us from spiritual blindness, from spiritual deafness, from hard-heartedness. And many parables emphasize salvation, don't they? So when he says, lest you should be converted, and I should heal them. So for example, think of the parable of the lost things. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And what's the point of that parable? The lost can be found, and he is seeking and saving that he will receive sinners. He will receive that which has been lost. Are you lost? Has the God of this, if you are lost, the God of this world, Satan himself, has blinded your eyes. You've rejected the truth up till now. And Satan is just going to come in and either even try to blind you even more. And then, as you harden your heart, the scary thing is, you may get to a point where God will give up on you, Romans chapter 1, and give you over to the hardness of your heart. So don't put off salvation. Today is the accepted time. God's will is that we be converted and healed. And then the third thing real quick is that parables are given to reveal the truth, to conceal the truth, but to fulfill the truth. And if you go down to verse 34 and 35, why did Jesus speak in parables? He says, all these things spake Jesus to the multitude in parables. I'm in verse 34. And without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying... I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And that's a quotation. I have it up here on the screen from Psalm 78, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus fulfills many prophecies, many incredible prophecies of healing, of obviously His death on the cross was the fulfillment of a prophecy. And His resurrection was a fulfillment of the prophecy. His second coming will be a fulfillment of prophecy. His birth in Bethlehem and so forth. I mean, there's many prophecies. But just the fact that He taught in parables is also a demonstration that He's the Messiah. He fulfills a prophecy. And let me just say this. In Matthew 13, and we were talking about those who had heart in their heart. How much had these Jewish people who were listening to Jesus, how much had they hardened their heart to Jesus at this moment? What happened in Matthew chapter 12? You remember? Jesus was doing healings and they, they were accusing Jesus of doing those healings in whose power? In Satan's power. He does this by the, through the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus because they attributed the work of the Holy Spirit through him to the devil, he then puts a name on that sin as what? 
the unpardonable sin. So, this is why he spoke in parables. Because literally, that's how hard they had become. So, Jesus speaks in parables because the opposition had become so hostile and hardened. And perhaps there were also superficial and shallow people on the other side. So, he speaks in parables to those who have the hungry heart. To those who really want to know the King and about His kingdom. So they're a real test as I close this point of the faith. Now, the last couple points, a little quicker, and then we'll be closed. The third thing about the parables, and I believe this about the parables, that the parables are given to teach one big idea. Now, go, to, uh, go please to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. So, as you're turning there, I just want to say that each parable, you know, every parable is like a treasure. Treasure it. Love it. Say, Lord, teach me it. But treasure it and then look. Look for the key that picks the lock of that parable. There's a key. There's a truth. There's one big truth that will pick the lock of that parable. Now, you cannot take every detail of the parable and extend it and try to make a metaphor out of every detail. Now, one parable may teach a number of truths and have a number of principles for life. I'm not saying that. But I do believe that there is a big idea on each parable. And that will keep us from going off into any kind of wrong teaching and keep us centered on who Jesus is the King and His coming kingdom. So they teach one big idea. Let me give you just a few examples of that. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And this is the parable of the unjust judge that I have pictured on the screen. Can you read Luke eighteen one with me? It says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so here he gives the big... He tells us this is what this parable is about. So we don't even have to guess. Now sometimes it's not given and you do have to study and you have to look at all the elements of the parable and say, what's the big idea of this parable? But I'm going to try to do that as we go through this series, is give you the big idea of each parable. Another example, go to Matthew chapter 25. And this is the parable of the ten virgins, five who were wise, five who were foolish. And in this parable, the big idea is given at the end of the parable. So in Luke 18, the big idea is at the beginning. Here, it's at the end, Matthew twenty-five, thirteen. Jesus tells us in this culminating statement the purpose of that parable. Verse 13, Matthew 25. Could you read it with me? It says, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So we're, we're, the, the big idea is you've got to be ready. You've got to watch. That's the big idea of that parable. So, the parable of the sower and the seed, one of my favorite parables. There's four different kinds of soil. And we could look at those different kinds of soil. 
But there's ultimately one big idea. What kind of soil do you have? How's your heart? Because those soils represent different hearts. And so, there's a big idea. The parable of the lost things. I mentioned it earlier. It's about the lost sheep, coin, and son. But it's not, it's really about one thing. It's about lost things. And Jesus can find that which is lost. So they teach one big idea. The last thing I want to say about parables is they call us to action. They call us to action. Parables do not leave us standing where we are. They call us to work, to serve, to be something that we're not. They call us to change. They call us to be more like Jesus Christ. And to be more ready for His kingdom to come. They call us to action. They call us to prepare. They call us to witness. They call us to bring forth fruit. They call us away from covetousness. They call us to contentment. They call us to overcome bitterness and a lack of forgiveness. And they call us to pray and not to faint. They call us to service and not to laziness. They call us to humility and not to pride. The parable of the sower and the seed calls us to have a heart that would understand the Word of God, that we could have fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold out of our lives. The parables call us to action. Is your heart received the Word of God? They call us to surrender everything in that parable of the pearl of great price. It's a simple parable, very brief, but so powerful. To surrender everything to gain Jesus Christ at all costs. Or the parable of the talents. To use your giftedness from God by faith for His glory. By the way, this parable, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Carmine, but I still remember where the church where you were going to at the time, the pastor put out a newsletter, an article on the parable of the talents. You talk about false teaching that can arise out of the parables. The, the, the pastor, from my recollection, actually used the parable of the talents to say that if you have talents, but you're not using those talents, you'll die and go to hell. That you could lose your salvation, really. And that's what led Pastor Carmine to our church. So that was the only time I'm ever glad about false teaching. <laughs> but I am glad Pastor Carmine is here. But I'm sad, really, in fact, that a pastor would teach that because that would lead to a works-based salvation. But that gives you an idea where people could interpret the parables wrongly. That's why we have to stick to that big idea. But yes, we're to use our talents and our gifts for the glory of God and not to bury them. The parable of the ten virgins that I just referred to, we must be filled with the Spirit, the oil representing the Holy Spirit, and be ready for Christ's return. And as we close, look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I said in the beginning of this message that parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. That Jesus uses things of earth that are real to refer to things in the spiritual realm 
or of His kingdom that are just as real. So parables are not speaking about spiritual things. They're talking really about, I mean, it's spiritual, but I'm saying they're talking about earthly, literal things. And this passage is so powerful, the wheat and the tares, and we'll look more carefully at it in the days ahead. But look at verse 38 of Matthew 13. Jesus said in this parable, giving it the interpretation, this is the interpretation that the field is the world. Okay, so on the, the earthly thing was the field. And what's put next to the field, what does the field represent? It represents the world. And he says the good seed, the good seed is the earthly thing that he used. Everybody knows what a seed is. And what does that represent? The children of the kingdom. Now let me ask you, is the seed, is a seed literal? Are the ch- are children of God literal? Yes. And then he says, the tares, that's the earthly thing, and that's what's put alongside the tares. The children of the wicked one, unsaved people, are both actual, literal, and real? Yes. The enemy that sowed them, there was an enemy in the story, put aside the enemy is, who's the enemy? The devil. Is the, is the enemy real if he sowed weeds in somebody's field? Yes. And is the devil real? Yes. The harvest is the end of the world. Now, for a farmer, I'll tell you what's very real for a farmer. A harvest. <laughs> That's how he makes his money. So a harvest is real. But what's, the har- what's put next to the harvest? The end of the world. And there's going to be a spiritual harvest. Is that just as real? Think of this. We don't know. It's all in the future. Never been there. But it's going to happen. And it's a very real event that will happen. There will be an end to this whole system of things. And then he says, the reapers, there were reapers of the harvest, and those reapers put alongside the reapers are who? The angels are both real? You better believe it. And he says, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, was the fire that the tares were burned in, was it real? Yes. But now keep reading so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels. They shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Listen, He's not talking metaphorically. He's not talking allegorically. He's talking literal. This fire in hell is just as real as that fire that burned the tares in the barn. And it's just as real as all the other things that we just read about. This is one of the most powerful proofs of the awfulness and the fiery reality of hell. So make sure you're saved. I'm not trying to scare anyone, but if you're not saved, you should be scared. And I'd rather, somebody said, I'd rather be hell scared than hell scarred. Because hell is real. And there will be gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine? And that's real! This is, he's not talking in, in a metaphor. It is actual. Can you imagine gnashing your teeth for all eternity? But now look at verse 43. It says, Then shall, but the righteous, we're just as real. And we're in another place. We're going to shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. 
And that's real, beloved. The kingdom of God, where we're going to be with Jesus, and we're going to look on Him. You remember when Moses went up on that mountain with God, and he came down the mountain, and he was shining, and he had to put the veil? We're going to see Jesus in heaven, and we'll be able to look on Jesus and see His face, even though He's the light of heaven, and we'll shine like Jesus. And then Jesus goes back to Isaiah 6. The last statement of verse 43. Who hath ears to hear? Do you have ears to hear today? And come to Jesus if you're not saved. And if you are saved, then let's keep witnessing and working and preparing for His kingdom. He that hath ears to hear, let Him hear. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, Jesus, for Your teaching in parables. Oh, God, we cry out for a heart that's tender and humble to receive the truth of Your Word. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I love Jesus because He first loved me. His Holy Spirit is in me to lead me to love Him and to be more like Him. And that's my desire to let His Word enter into the bedrock of my soul deep down so I could be like Christ. And I thank God for these parables. I love the the Word of God and I love the parables of Jesus. Can you just put your hand up and say hallelujah? And then just pray, Lord, open my heart to the teaching of Your Word, to understand, oh Spirit of God, thank You that You're here with us to teach us, to teach us Jesus, and that this is Your church, Lord Jesus, but You've given Your Spirit to Your church to make us like You. We don't have the power in ourselves to be like You, O Christ, but we have the power through the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. So we we cry and we call to You today. Work in our heart and give us a sense of contentment and satisfaction and a heart of forgiveness to love You, Lord, as You have loved us. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, if I were to die today, I'd go to hell. And I don't want to go there. I don't want to be cast into that furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But I want to be saved. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, pray for me today. Can I pray for you if there's anyone like that? So now, Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, do your work. Amen.